Welcome to the Cap City Church podcast. This is a recording of our Sunday message. We pray that you're encouraged and challenged as you listen to it. Enjoy. If you've got your, yeah, your books or your Bibles or whatever, you can open up to this section and follow through um, the whole story. There is more, a little bit more towards the end. I'm not going to read it because I think that that video expresses a lot of what we need to hear. Now, Jesus was on the run in a sense, or at least he needed to get out of the way. He needed to get out of um, where he was in Judea, away from the, the Pharisees because they were counting up, they were totting up who was getting more disciples, John or Jesus. And they noticed that Jesus was getting um, more disciples. And they claimed that he was baptizing more but in fact, he wasn't baptizing at all. Uh, it was his, his disciples who were doing the baptisms, but they were getting really upset about it. So he decided to let things cool down and to get north, to go north to Galilee. Now, can we have the next slide, please? Um, I don't know how well you can see this, but Jesus is down in Judea here. And the quickest route would be to go through Samaria. But people, if previously in that um, clip, you would have seen the disciples getting really worried about traveling through Samaria because the Samaritans hated the Jews and vice versa. And there's been conflict there for a long, long time. Now, what I would say is that originally the Jews, the Hebrews, divided into two nations. There was the southern kingdom, which was Judea, and there was the northern kingdom, which was Israel. And this happened at the death of Solomon. When Solomon died in about, uh, what was it, 930 BC, and I'm not going to give you an absolutely, um, this isn't a history lesson, I just want to give you a context for this. But when Solomon died, uh, there was, who was it? There was... Um, yeah, there was Jeroboam who, want, who took over the northern kingdom. And there was Solomon's son, Rehoboam. It's very similar names, aren't they? Who took over Judea, the southern kingdom. And they just, and there was a lot, along the border, there was a lot of fighting. And like it is today in that area, the, dis, the fighting, Fighting seemed to be part and parcel of living in the Middle East. It would just happened all the time. There would be skirmishes. There would be little wars that went on between them. And these were the same people worshipping the same God. You'd have thought they'd have got on well together, but they weren't. They were fighting each other. And then this left them open to attack from the Assyrians. You had There were three waves from the north. There were the Assyrians at first, then there were the Babylonians that took a lot of uh, Jewish folk into captivity, and then there was uh, the Persians after that. But in 722, the Assyrians came in and they conquered, and they took all the people of any substance, that is people who were wealthy, people who were influence, influences of any kind like that, all the leaders, they they knew what they were doing, you know, take the leadership out of the way. And they took all these leaders back into uh, 
Assyria and to other places they conquered and dispersed them. And they brought in people from other lands into, um, into this part of the world. And a lot of them were in the Samaritan area, the, the area of Samaria. So they, uh, you, got a, you had a lot of integration. You had a lot of assimilation of, between religions because they came from totally different. Baal worship was one of the main um, religions that was brought into the area. And so the, the Jew, those who were Jewish had to, they compromised and there was a lot going on. History, too, at some point, uh, there was a, a temple made, built up in Mount Gerizim, which is here. And just below that is Jacob's well, where Jesus spoke to the uh, Samaritan woman. And they took their way because that was the quickest way. Because they knew, Jesus knew that no um, self-respecting Pharisee because of the, what they believed, because of the antagonism, would actually go through Samaria because they regarded the Samaritans as unclean because they were of mixed race. They'd integrated with the, with the uh, other races that had come in. They'd mixed marriages. And, uh, and they, so they had dodgy religion, mixed marriages, and a strange culture, totally different. And so they... they you know, the Pharisees would tend to, and generally people who were traveling, they would take the route up uh, by the, the Jordan River and possibly dipping into Perea and Decapolis to get up to, uh, up to Galilee. And so they, that would be the safe route, although it's the longest route. But Jesus wanted it to go as quickly as possible into the north to Galilee. So that was the route that he took, and that's when he came across uh, this, this woman at the well. Now, tradition gives her a name, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. You'll probably find that Luke does, but uh, I, no, <laughs> I can't remember what her name is. But that doesn't matter. She's a woman. I think once you put a name on her, you begin to look at her specifically. But I want you to look at her as a type of all women, Okay. And that there's a real reason behind this that I want to, I want to hit. Guys, you're just going to have to suck it up this morning because this is really important, okay? And um, anyway, so Samaria was slap bang between Judea and Galilee. And uh, they had their own temple. They had their own practices. And there was, they believed in the Pentateuch, although... The Jews believed in the Pentateuch and the prophets and the Psalms and the Proverbs, all of that. But uh, if you were Samaritan, you only believed in, in the Pentateuch, which is the first few books of the Bible. So this conflict that was going on was still there in Jesus' day. And Jesus took decided to go through, and everybody else was really, really concerned about it. Now, Jesus comes and he sits by this well, by Jacob's well. He's thirsty, it says. He's tired. Yes, Jesus got thirsty and Jesus got tired. Jesus was like you and me. He felt the things and understood life as we understood it. That's why he came as a human being. And along comes this 
Samaritan woman. She's an outsider amongst her own people. I don't know if you picked it up in the story, but she came at midday. It's about midday when she arrived, the heat of the day. And if any of you have ever been to the Middle East, you'll know that that time of the day is really, really hot. I don't mean, you know, 30 degrees or whatever. This is a lot, a lot hotter than that, 40 degrees, something like that, and, or late 30s, and it's really, really hot. And Jesus sits by the well, and along she comes at, at midday. And as Jesus, as the guy who played Jesus, by the way, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus in this, um, when he started to play it, his, you may know this, but his sister rang him up and said, Jonathan, you've ruined my prayer life. She said, because every time I pray now, I see your face. <laughs> so, yeah, but anyway... So, coming back to it, this woman was surprised to see Jesus at the well. Could we have the second slide, please? Because uh, it wasn't normal. It wasn't expected, especially when he talked to her and he wanted, he asked for a drink from her. He was breaking all the barriers. He was breaking down the, just the the whole prejudice that there was between Jews and Samaritans. Not only that, he was asking a woman. And she probably gathered by the tassels, I don't know if you noticed it on Jesus, but very um, garment. If you watch The Chosen, have a, have a look. There is a conversation about it at some point. But he, he would have had as a rabbi some tassels on his, on his, his group. They weren't anything too fancy. You know, they were just like a, a braided thing that would just go on his, his garment. And uh, she probably picked up, although it's not in the text, she probably picked up that he was a, a rabbi of some kind. Um, if she didn't, well, it doesn't matter. But uh, she would have been very surprised, a Jew speaking to a Samaritan woman who was considered to be unclean. All Samaritans, according to Jews, were unclean. But she was talking to him. But not only that, she knew her history. She knew that she was an outcast in her own environment. But Jesus pressed in. And you'll notice at first, she came, she talked to him with resistance back. I don't know if he ever got that cup of water. <laughs> you know, I don't know whether he ever did, but... But it was his icebreaker, in a sense. He asked her for water. And he talked to her about... Can we have the next slide, please? He talked to her about living water. And he offers her living water. He says, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for a drink of living water. And this is important because there's, this is... The wording that's used in this has an actual, whereas when you talk about well water, well water or water we get from the tap, we would just talk about it as water. There's no life in it as such. But when Jesus uses this term, living water, he's saying water with life, water that's animated, water that's got some property to it that's going to give you something more. 
She didn't quite pick up on that. I wonder whether she was thinking Jesus could run a pipe or something down to her kitchen, you know, at home, and she'd just turn a tap and it would come on, you know. And, and for a woman in that situation, that would be a dream, rather than having to come in the heat of the day to be able to have your own personal water supply into your house would take all the indignity away from her. Because I guarantee when she went for water, everybody would notice there would be the twitching curtains. There would be the little comments. Oh, there she goes again. The woman who's had 500, I was going to say 100 then, five husbands, and the woman who's living with somebody considered an incredible sin. And there she's going, the cheek of it. She's going up to our well to draw water. You know, and uh, the poor woman had to walk through the place where she lived and put up with that. But Jesus has piqued a curiosity. He begins with talking about something that looked practical, but actually had something much more behind it. And he talked to her. Jesus broke down barriers, and he, he, uh, he was wanting to really help her. And he was talking about this living water that would give her eternal life. Of course, she wants to know more, and she switches uh, track. And as she asks him, well, tell me about how this is going to happen, Jesus uses wisdom and knowledge, knowledge and wisdom. And that's one of the gifts of the Spirit. But he, he says to her, go and bring your husband. Seems like a throwaway comment, you know, because uh, according to culture, that really speaking, he shouldn't be talking to her without... Um, somebody else there, particularly a husband or a father or somebody who would be her advocate. And of course, he knows, he touches her right on the raw. And don't you hate it when Jesus doesn't let you get away with something and he asks you a question and you think, oh. And here Jesus asks her and he catches her and she unravels before Jesus she realizes there's nothing that she can hide from him. Absolutely nothing. And Jesus said to her, and he goes through. Now, obviously, they've taken license in the film in the sense that he mentions a couple of these guys' names and their backgrounds and that. But she's, all we know is that he talks to her about these five, five husbands and the one that she's with, she's living with. Now, for somebody to say that and she doesn't know who they are, He's really got her now. He's really caught her attention. A woman who is ready to dismiss him because he's a Jew. And she caught, he caught her. She wanted to know, go and get your husband. As we would say, she was gobsmacked by it. And she calls him a prophet. And there's a progression in what she, how she talks to Jesus. First of all, he's a, he's a Jew. Now he's a prophet. And she tries to divert him again because she goes into another theological argument. You can have the next slide. Thank you. He goes into, a, into an argument about theological differences. And don't you hate it when you're trying to talk to somebody about Jesus and they come out with some you know, theological or 
religious argument that's gone on. The times I've been involved with uh, evangelism and witnessing to people, and they come up, they, once you start to begin to get close to them about what Jesus has done for them, they'll put up an argument of some kind to get you out of the way. It doesn't matter what it is, but they, they try to deflect. They try to move away from it. And she used the difference between the two temples, the one up in Mount Gerizim, which her ancestors used and built and as a place of worship. And, uh, she, of course, she gets very scathing about the Jews in that conversation. She said, well, you Jews believe you're the, you know, the top-notch sort of thing. You, you believe that you're the only ones. And you can always tell when religion gets in because people compare. And they always say of the other religion or the other belief system, well, of course, uh, you're, you, you people think you've got, got it all. You know, you think you're the best. And you know, this conversation is going on. There's this whole thing. She's trying to divert it. And Jesus stops it there and then. And he says to her, it doesn't actually matter. Although salvation comes from the Jews, we know that. That was a scriptural thing. You know, and she would have known that. That's, it would have come through the, the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. But she was, you know, this was... Um, one of the things that she would have balked at. But then he says, but actually it doesn't matter because what the Jews have, the way they're doing it now and the way you're doing it up on Mount Gerizim doesn't matter because it's not to do with locations. It's to do with the spirit and truth. It's to do with your heart. Where's your heart with God? Where are you with God today? Do you think, oh, I can only worship him if I'm in a particular place? I'm in a particular church. I'm in a particular religious site or whatever. You know, Jesus was saying, poppycock to the lot of that. It doesn't mean a thing. Because what matters is your heart. It's your spirit. That's why we can worship God in this gymnasium. That's why wherever the church pops up, they could be out of doors they, without a building. And in some persecuted churches, that's what they, they've had to do. They could be in a cellar somewhere, hiding from the authorities. They can be in a cathedral. They can be, it doesn't matter where the church is. And when I say church, I mean us, the people of God. Because the church is not a building, despite what our culture has taught us. Church is not a building, church is us. Buildings are buildings. And thank God that in the UK we've got buildings to be able to worship in because it could be very wet and very cold at times or very, if you have a good summer, very hot. But we have buildings to be able to come into. But the building itself is just a building. The thing that matters the most is our hearts because we are, as we read in... Um, in Corinthians and other places, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are God's temple. Each one of us is individually is the temple of God. But as we gather together too, we are also the temple of God. And this is God dwells amongst us, with us. He doesn't 
necessarily dwell in the building, but when we come into a building, we bring the presence of God. So when you hear these expressions, people say, oh, I'm going to the church because that's where God is, or I'm going to the house of God. You know, that's harking back to the old temple days. And it's not, it's actually not right. Because where, who we are together and as individuals is where God dwells. And greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Talking about the enemy, Satan himself. Greater is he, God, who is in us than he who is in the world. So despite this diversion, Jesus says, reveals to her a very important thing, that all worship, wherever the location should, is, should be in spirit and truth. God demands that we worship him in the spirit. God demands that we worship him in truthfulness. In other words, if there's sin in our lives, if there are lies in our lives, he wants to be able to deal with those things and bring truth to heal us, to set us free. And this was what Jesus' purpose was with this woman. He wanted to set her free. So he, he brought her back and she began to realize, she began to talk about the next uh, slide, thanks. She began to talk about the Messiah. Oh, when the Messiah comes, he'll sort all this mess out. And it's very easy to say, oh, well, you know, when, when the Messiah turns up, he'll sort it out. When the Christ comes, he'll sort it out. And then Jesus reveals himself. Now, he actually says, Jesus, she uses the word Messiah. Jesus says, I am. Now, if you remember back, we looked at the I am of God some time ago when we looked at the burning bush and that in a few series back. But, you know, Jesus said, I am. I am he. I am. Jesus is the Messiah. And this is the first person that he reveals this to outside of his disciples or anybody else, but this was the first person. And remember, he spoke to a woman. He spoke to a foreigner. He spoke to somebody who was broken and bruised by life. He talked to somebody who'd been an outcast. He spoke to somebody who was really probably had a lot of uh, self-esteem issues and lots of other things like that. He revealed himself. And he, by doing all of that, he was saying to her, I accept you, I love you, and I see you for who you really are. You are not rejected. You're not an outcast as far as I'm concerned. And so this woman becomes the first evangelist to the Samaritans, a woman. Now, that wouldn't say much to you ladies today, perhaps in some ways, but it actually, in those days, it says a lot. Jesus chose that the first evangelist to the um, Samaritans was a woman, and a woman who had had a very difficult life and a very difficult past. He chose a Samaritan woman. Now, we know later on in the Acts, we see Philip and others going into Samaria and the disciples going and, uh, and things like that. But this 
This was, the, as far as we understand, was the first time. And this woman just went and she gave a testimony. It was such a big impact. She, I can imagine her running amongst this town and thinking, oh my goodness, what's this woman on? You know, she comes running in through them all. Somebody who's an outcast and you can see them all perplexed, thinking, oh gosh. And then she starts shouting, I've met somebody who knows everything about me who I've never met before. And he spoke into my life. And some of them believed and some came out to see Jesus. And it says later in the, in the chapter, uh, you see where Jesus uh, in verses, let me get this right for you, in verses 39 to 42, if you're following in your Bibles or your books, you see how they come out and they say, we believed because of what she said, but now we believe because we have experienced Jesus. And there's another expression that's used uh, of Jesus, and it's the Savior of the world. Because the Scripture said that the Jews were supposed to be an example to the whole world, to be able to bless the whole world, to bring the whole world into the kingdom of God. But they failed. But here was a woman who had introduced Jesus to her own nation, and they saw him in a much bigger picture as the savior of the world. And Jesus came as your savior. If you already know Jesus, then you'll understand what I'm talking about here. But if you don't, I'll tell you what, he's your savior too. He doesn't care what background you come from. He doesn't care what kind of person you are. He doesn't care about your gender. He doesn't care about your past. He doesn't care about all of these things. He wants to give you hope and a future. He wants to take you out of sin and into life. He wants to give you the living water that will set you free day by day. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to indwell you, to live through you, and to give you what you need for every day, for all the things that you face every day. So we learn there's no, there's no obstacle to Jesus' love. He wants to liberate us. He wants to give us the living water. He wants us to be honest, truthful about where we are and who we are. He doesn't want us to lie about our backgrounds and whatever. He wants us to be honest and say, look, I don't know why God has brought me into the kingdom, but he has, and I want to live for him. I want to be truthful. I want to worship him in spirit and truth. He wants us to realize that we can be the church wherever we are. Whether if you, you know, we used to say to the ki to our kids, we'd uh, you know they'd come in on a Saturday morning or whatever, and they'd jump into bed beside us. This is when they were little. They don't do it now, um, but when they were little, they'd jump into bed beside us. And Carlo would use this expression: "Here we are, the church in bed." You know, all four of us, and uh, great, you know. So wherever you are, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, wherever you are, you are the church. And Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am. 
in the midst of it. So even if you sit in a, an office and there's two, only two of you that are Christians, every time you get together, Jesus is there with you. I have a very different view of church to what I used to have. I used to think church had to be done in a certain way, had to be, you know, it was only a church if it had a constitution, if it had, you know, you had a minister and deacons and goodness knows what else. God has, over the years with a lot of patience, has just rid me of all of that because it actually, the thing that matters is that we realize who we are when we get together, who we are. We are the church, whether it's just a few of us, whether it's just, just us and God, we are the church. And God can speak to us, build us up, strengthen us, and use us. And when we get together, we get to encourage each other. That's why the scripture is very clear. It said, don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together. And it's important because we get to encourage each other, to inspire each other, to help each other, to lead each other. And faith is for sharing. Testimonies. Always share what God is doing in your life. Don't be afraid. You know, sometimes we, we've got family members who are not Christians, but we've decided to talk to them as if they are. And we talk to them about the things of God. Carla's very good at this. But we talk to them, share with them the things that God is doing in our lives and things like that. We share these sort of things. And we share it with the hope that something at some point will click. Don't be afraid to share your faith. This woman was so enjoying the freedom. You saw it at the end, and I think that's a fantastic. That gets me more than anything else. She's running her down. You know, saying, this man has shown me he knows everything about me, you know, and uh, she starts you know, just telling people, not realizing they already know they're the disciples, but she was just so full of it, so full of excitement. Here was a woman who was in bondage, set free. Jesus' desire was to set this woman free, and in so doing, many others were set free too. And as you are set free, he wants us to help to set free others as well. You know that I take you to another passage where um, Lazarus comes out of the grave. Jesus said, come out. Or if you want to say it in the AV language, Lazarus, come forth. Why? No, I'm not going to make that joke. Um, but he tells me to come forth. And as he came forth, he still had the grave clothes on. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, you take the grave clothes off. And that's our job. Jesus wants to set people free. And our job is to help them. Is to help them help take away the things which cause the barrier between them and God. Jesus wants to use you. Ladies, don't ever say, but I'm only a woman, which I hope you wouldn't. These days we hear a lot about, about the whole uh, emancipation of women in, in life generally. And it's, it's work, it's hard, it's going. Culture doesn't like it too much, but it's happening. 
And I th every day I see a woman standing up and speaking out for God, a woman standing up to share a testimony, a woman in ministry, a woman just being who she is in God. I rejoice because Jesus didn't come just for men, thankfully. And you know, it's interesting, isn't it? In the stories of the gospel, when you read this gospel, you see who was staying behind when Jesus got crucified on the cross. Not the men. The men ran away. The women stayed. The women stayed. The women were there. So men, be grateful for the women in your life who will actually speak into your life without holding back because they will keep you where you need to be in God. So, what does this mean for us? It, it actually speaks to all of us, men or women. But I feel today that I really want some of you women to know that Jesus is on your case. He knows who you are. He knows what you've been going through. He knows what you faced. He knows how tough life has been for you. He knows how good it is for you. He, but he knows everything about you, the things that you worry about, the things that you are concerned about, the things that go on in your life every day. And he wants to step in and bring you freedom. He wants to be that number one in your life. Sorry, guys, I said you'd have to suck it up today. But we're going we're gonna to pray now. And before the band comes forward to, to close. But I want you to feel free that if you feel that you need prayer, even the guys, but if you feel you need prayer, I know the leaders are here, they'll, they'll pray for you. If you need prayer, I'm happy to pray for you. If you want prayer, if you prefer it from another woman, then we've got plenty of women leaders here as well then just you come and pray. Perhaps we can have the music now. I will pray, but we can have the music. And then during that time, if you feel that you need prayer, don't be afraid to go to the back. And uh, there'll be somebody there to pray for you. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus into the world. We thank you that Jesus had a big heart for women, to see women released in ministry, to see women released from their, their oppression, their difficulty, from the prejudices of the day, that they were just as valuable to him as the men as far as being disciples were concerned. And we thank you for the many godly women that have come through and, and done amazing things for you. And Lord, we pray today, if there are women here who are feeling cold to something, if there are women here today that need to be set free, if there are women here today that are struggling, Lord, if there are women here today who just want to hear your voice about something, Father, I pray you'll come and speak to them. But I pray too for the men, that you'll make us supportive people, supportive men who are prepared to stand with the women and see that they come alongside us to worship you, to minister for you, to, to have opportunities of ministry. 
Father, just come. Work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about us, visit our website, capcitycardiff.org.uk.